at some point, we all realize, don't we, that uh, we were designed to be a part of something bigger than just ourselves. We all, we all dream of doing something great, don't we? I hope. If you're a Christian, I hope you dream of doing uh, great things for the kingdom. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Do you ever, do you ever dream of doing great things for the kingdom? Do you? Dream of doing great things for, for the kingdom, for maybe, maybe for the king. And maybe, maybe you don't. Uh, maybe that thought, as it, as it occurs to you, uh, the answer to it in an honest way is, no, I don't know that I've ever, I don't know that I've ever had that. I don't know that I've ever had that thought. That my life was designed not to just be something bigger than myself, but something bigger than myself. And that something is, first and foremost, about the kingdom, about God and his his glory. Uh, maybe maybe you just have to stop right there before we go on any of the other questions in, in the message today and just and just deal with with that with that thought. Have I ever had in my heart through the spirit dwelling in me, the desire to do great things for the kingdom of God. If the answer is no, then, then maybe you just gotta maybe you just gotta sit on that question. Maybe you just zone me out for the rest of the time this morning, because God doesn't want you to go away from just just that first question. Paul certainly, Paul certainly did great things, didn't he? From beginning to his very end, Paul was like the Michael Jordan of Christianity. Yeah. I don't know about you, but for me, it's sometimes overwhelming. You know, the more I get into letters like Second Timothy and the more I understand the context and the situation that Paul was in, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like I was saying to the kids, this guy seems to be the best of what Christianity has to offer. That sometimes isn't just encouraging, it's sometimes discouraging because the, the bar is so high. I'll never be Michael Jordan. Can you imagine being Timothy? <laughs> Here's Paul in 2 Timothy writing a letter to his beloved son, but he's passing the baton of all that Paul has given his life to onto this young man. Imagine, imagine the pressure there. Paul looks back, and for all intents and purposes, Jesus was Paul's model. And now Paul says, come and follow after me as I have followed after Christ. Here you go, Timothy. I mean, that's a little bit intimidating. That's a little bit overwhelming as, as I think about it. As I read, read scripture sometimes, I, I, if, I, if I attempt to compare myself to men like Paul, it can be discouraging. Open your Bible to Second Timothy if you have it with you. In chapter 1, we saw that in verses 9 and 10, Paul gave Timothy an example. He's going to challenge Timothy and he's going to say, Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ or of me, his prisoner. And that is going to be the theme that carries throughout the letter. Be strong and courageous, Timothy. You've got to follow me. I'm handing you the baton. I'm passing the torch to you. It's not an easy road, so you're going to need peace Grace, but you're also going to need mercy. You remember that in the first couple of verses? But 
Don't be ashamed. Don't waver. Be strong. Be courageous. That's the letter that's coming to Timothy. Verse 9 and 10 of chapter 1, he gives him an example, and it's the example of God in Christ. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? He moves on from there in 11 through 14, as we saw last week, and he uses himself as an example. Read verse 15, because in verse 15, he makes sort of an interesting turn. Watch this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says this. You're aware, Timothy, of this fact, that all who were in Asia Minor turned away from me, among whom are, if you can pronounce it, stand up and pronounce it, please. Uh, let's say, Phygelus and Hermogenes, to just name a couple, all have turned away from me. Paul mentions two guys who apparently bailed on him. That's the picture. These guys, they didn't measure up to the examples. In fact, when hard times came, they cut and run. Uh, But don't miss this. In verse 15, these two guys get called out by name. They must have really angered the Apostle Paul. But don't, for the names of those two individuals, miss what Paul said in the verse. He said, Timothy, you know, as a matter of fact, that all in Asia are gone. (laughs) Here I am, I'm in this dungeon, and everybody's... Everybody's bailed. That's the that's the picture. Timothy, be strong and courageous. Look at God and Christ and the eternal work that he's done. Look at my life. But by the way, the truth is everyone else has run. Nobody want to identify with Paul now. He's not as popular as he used to be. He's not the guy you want to hang out with now. He's in a dungeon. He's in prison. To be aligned with Paul means you're aligned with Christ. To be aligned with Christ means you're aligned with the way, as it was called in Paul's day. And at this point in time, that'll get you killed. At the very least, thrown in a dungeon. Paul makes it out of the dungeon just to lose his head. And Paul looks around and he says... Where where did everybody go? Where did everyone go? The inference is there were all these people who were rallied around the cause at one point. But now they're all they're all gone. After Christ's death, the only persecution the church really got, the Christians really got were from the Jews, another religious organization, if you will. The government really didn't have any any cause against the Christians unless the Jews would complain to the government that the Christians were were somehow offending the government. But at this time, close to 70 A.D., now the government is highly involved and the Christians are not just hated by Jews and other religious sects. They're hated by guys like Nero, who would douse Christians and use them as living torches at his garden parties. Um, no wonder men and women are cutting and running. And so Paul looks around and he says, Timothy, I'll just be honest with you. 
The truth is, verse 15, all who are in Asia turned away from me. Because he had turned to Christ, they've turned away from me. And I don't know where they are. So here's what we have. Timothy, be strong and courageous. Do not be ashamed. Retain the standard. Guard the treasure that has been entrusted to you. You remember these verses? And now here he goes. Share in the suffering of the gospel with me. And if you need motivation, 9 and 10, look at God in his eternal work through Jesus Christ displayed in time and space on a cross. If you need another example, look at me. Follow the pattern of my sound words. You've heard it from me. Hold to the standard. Guard this treasure that has been entrusted to you. And oh, by the way, the majority of people have not been strong and courageous. Everyone is, uh, has not retained the standard. Uh, most everyone has not guarded the treasure. They have not shared in the suffering. Have a nice day, Timothy. But that's what I'm calling you to do. And at this point, if I'm Timothy, I'm feeling a little pressure, aren't you? This guy from this dungeon is passing the baton to me when everybody else is cut and run. He's calling me to share in the sufferings for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to come the way that he's come, which is going to lead him to his death. Everybody else has seemingly wised up and and fled. But you, Timothy, you can't you can't run. You can't run. He mentions a guy here in the next verse, and he does something here in the next verse that may seem at first a bit a bit off track as you read it. But I think it's right on time. He mentions a guy you've never heard of before. He mentions a guy that's not famous. He's not popular. He's not the best by any indications at anything. At least not by human standards. Look at verse 16 and 17. And see what Paul has to say about a guy named Onesiphorus. You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Philogius and Hermogenes. 16. The Lord grant mercy, however, to the house of Onesiphorus. Another marked man. He's marked now not because he fled, but he's marked because he's stuck. Watch this. God grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often... Now, check out the verbs here. Refreshed me, was not ashamed of my chains. But when was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and he found me. The idea here is that Paul was hard to find at this point. It was easy to get away from Paul and not align with Paul and not be called of the way of which Paul was called. Because this guy's down in the dungeon somewhere. You get the idea that Onesiphorus not only stuck with him, but when he couldn't find him, he searched for him. He went out of his way. Hey, have you seen Paul? Have you seen Paul? Just asking the question could have ended his life. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. Think about that picture as you're sitting in a dungeon. He refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains. What is Paul asking Timothy to do here? Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or a me, his prisoner, who happens to be in chains. Here's another example for you, Timothy. Onesiphorus, he refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains, but when he was in Rome, 
He eagerly searched for me. When I was lost, he found me. Not just when it was convenient, but even when it was hard, he was by my side. He found me. The Lord grant to him, verse 18, to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well, Timothy, you know, you know very well what services he, that's Onesiphorus, rendered at Ephesus. Apparently, Onesiphorus was not just faithful when Paul was in Rome. He was faithful when Paul was back in Ephesus, where Paul is writing now to Timothy as Timothy is overseeing the church in the region of Ephesus. If you go to Acts 18, 19, and you read some of the stories of Paul's life when he was in Ephesus, you realize that that was not an easy place to be for Paul. I mean, there were riots. There were people, there were people uh, trying to kill those who were delivering Paul's type message to the degree that the disciples and other followers prohibited Paul from going to certain places. If you read in Acts 18 and 19, uh, that Paul don't go there. It's, it's not going to be good. Apparently, Onesiphorus was right in the mix of all that. He says to Timothy, you, you know this Onesiphorus I'm talking about because he was in Ephesus faithful then. But guess what? Everyone else has left. He's stuck. He found me. He's refreshed me. He's not ashamed of my chains. He identifies with me and therefore the cause of Christ at risk of his own life. From beginning to end, this guy's faithful. He doesn't cut and run. He was there for Paul and he was not ashamed. Timothy, if you want an example, a real life. Here's where I think Paul's argument is going. If you want a real life, down to earth example, not the Michael Jordan example, not not the standard, which is Christ. That's a great example. Awfully hard to live up to. Not even just Paul. <laughs> the the ideal seemingly in a lot of our minds, Christian, he gives that example. But but it's as if he senses that that might just be a little overwhelming. And he goes down to a guy who you never hear anything more about in Scripture. He's not famous. He's not rich. He's not popular. He's not seemingly the best at anything in human standards. But in Paul's eyes, in spiritual standards, he's the guy that sticks He's faithful. He doesn't cut and run when the heat is on. When all the others had gone AWOL, Onesiphorus was what we call in sports a gamer. You ever heard that phrase? You know what a gamer is? A gamer is a guy who may not look like much on the practice field. Uh, he may not be that big. He may not be that strong. He may not be that fast. But when he hits the field, he turns it on. When it really counts, he turns it on. We had a guy in college uh, on our football team. His name was Scotty Carlisle, annoying little guy, full of energy. He woke up uh, needing something to just tone him down a little bit. He woke up going 100 miles an hour. And uh, Scotty Carlisle, uh, he would just goof around all week during practice. And he was, he was about this tall. Uh, he wasn't very big or strong at all, and he played wide receiver. And if you know much about football and wide receivers, you don't really, as a quarterback, you don't really want a guy this tall to throw the ball to. It didn't seem like very much, but I'll tell you, when that guy hit the field, he was the biggest little guy out there. Bigger than a lot of the big guys. He turned something on. He's what we call the gamer. He just shows up. When the pressure's on, he just he shows up. On the other hand, 
you got the gamers, and then you got the guys who, who uh, talk a good game, and maybe they're big, they're strong. I remember my first day of college football practice, I was a freshman, I get out there on the field, first day of pads, and I look across to the defense, and the uh, free safety, who often would be the guy blitzing to knock the quarterback in the ear hole, uh, he is the biggest, strongest, fastest, uh, best-looking athlete on the field. I remember thinking, and he had number one on him. It was symbolic. And he believed he was number one on the field. And I thought, my first day out there, I thought, this guy is bad. I don't want to get hit by that guy. He was the one guy the very first day as a freshman. You kind of look around and say, okay, who don't you want to get hit by? That was the guy. Can I tell you, he never, he never amounted to be anything on the field. He didn't see the field very often. He looked the part. He looked the part. But it didn't turn out to be anything. Spirituality, if we were to apply this, might sometimes look good in the pew. But how about when it hits the pavement? That's the question. What the church needs are more, more gamers. More men and women who don't necessarily look to be the best at anything. They don't, they don't look the biggest, the fastest, the strongest. And I'm not talking about sports here. Okay, follow me. But, but when, they, when they hit the field, they're, they're making an impact. They're making a dent in the cause of the kingdom. They're doing great things. Uh, the church, and I'm not just talking about Cornerstone, the church... Uh, has plenty of men and women who look really good in here, unfortunately. But when we get out there, uh, I don't know. <laughs> this, you understand, this, what we do here, this is, not, uh, this, is, this is not the end. This is the means to an end. This is practice for the game, so to speak. To be successful just in here, it's short-sighted. It's got to it's got to go to the field. We need men and women who will hit the field running. It's not enough just to come to practice. Men, women, boys, and girls. We need all who will not go silent when we get out there. That's one thing to amen in here. It's one thing to sing loud in here. But when we get out there where the Bible says the world will collide with our message in a harsh way. That's the story of Second Timothy, right? That's his warning. Share in the sufferings with me. The gospel is counterculture to what men in their flesh want to hear. And so the tendency is when we leave the comfort of this place and go out there, the tendency is, is that we go, we go silent. And Jesus is Lord in here, and uh, we depend on him here. But when we, when we hit the field, sometimes mum is the word. Um, you know what I'm, uh, I'm sometimes afraid of? Sometimes I worry that my sermons are nothing more than, a, than just a pep talk in this room. Um, a pregame speech that fades before the, before the fourth quarter hits. You tracking with me? A pep talk only lasts so long. 
you've ever watched a, if you ever watched a football game and you see the guys on the sideline at a certain time in the game, they all hold up four fingers. You ever seen this? And it's not because they're just dumb jocks and they've got to remind themselves. It's fourth quarter. One, two, three, four. That helps. Uh, we do that for the linemen. But you know why they do it? They're making a statement. Here's what they're saying. When they hold up those four fingers and they look around on their sideline, they're indicating not just that it's the fourth quarter, but it's, it's go time. Now's when it matters most. Now is what will make or break us. This is when it matters most. This is fourth quarter where we see what we're made of. This is where we find out who has a, who has a heart for the game and doesn't just want to wear a jersey on Friday. Uh, this is where we find out um, who's just here for the perks and who's willing to play through the pain. And once again, I'm not talking about sports. In the church sometimes, uh, we might attract men and women who, and young people who are willing to put on the jersey for our Friday, which is our Sunday. Okay? And that's great. But what about Monday? What about when we, when we leave uh, the practice field and hit the game field? Have you ever seen a, uh, you ever seen a dog race? At a dog race, um, dogs won't naturally just race. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Uh, at a dog race, they have to put something out in front of the dogs put a rabbit out there and they train these dogs to chase the rabbit. And you got a guy in the booth that controls this rabbit and his only job is to make sure that this rabbit stays out in front of the dogs. You, you have to, you have to bait the dogs into running. Horses, however, are different. Horses don't need the rabbit. Uh, it's said that horses have something naturally in them that makes them as a thoroughbred something that causes them to want to run. It's even said that a thoroughbred, if he's not held back by the reins, if, if being pushed, a thoroughbred will run till, till they kill themselves. They run so hard. They don't need to chase anything. They run because of their will to run. It, it comes from within. Very literally, they run because of the heart that they have. You seen the movie uh, uh, Secretariat came out, Disney made? True story. Uh, I've not seen the movie, but Secretariat is a real horse. Most popular horse probably in, in all of horse racing. Uh, won the Triple Crown back in, I think, it was 73. Uh, set some track records. Holds, I think, still the Kentucky Derby record uh, for that race. Uh, when Secretariat died... They did an autopsy on him because they wanted to see what makes this horse so good. And they thought if we if we cut him open, maybe we can find something that gave this horse such an edge. You know what they found? Uh, they weren't surprised because they they guessed it. They thought that this horse had an enlarged heart. They thought that he had a bigger heart than the standard horse. 
which would give him a greater capacity for running, especially at distances and great speeds. What they found is that he didn't just have a slightly bigger heart. Uh, They estimate that his heart was two and a half times the size of a normal horse. And the doctor who did the autopsy said he looked at this heart and it was a perfect machine. And there was no doubt why this horse could run so well, could run so hard. Paul is asking Timothy to do great things for the kingdom. To be a part of something that's bigger than him. Paul is not looking for a superstar. He's looking for a man whose heart is big for the kingdom. Uh, I don't want to be here on Sundays dangling the carrot out in front of a church. Putting the rabbit out there and trying to get a group of people to chase a rabbit. That's short-lived. It won't last. What we're here to build in the hearts of men and women and children is a greater heart for the kingdom that gives you that inner will to run long and hard. To be uh, like Onesiphorus. Let me tell you one more thing about Onesiphorus and we'll be done. Did you, did you notice the odd phrasing here in 2 Timothy? Notice what he said. Look at that in verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. To the house of Onesiphorus. Look in chapter 4. Let me give you a preview of what's to come. Chapter 4 is Paul's closing the letter. In verse 19, he's sending out some final greetings. Greet Prisca and Aquila and who else? Onesiphorus? No. In the household of Onesiphorus. You know what most scholars think? I tend to hold to it as well. Onesiphorus was long gone. Something had happened. This guy had given his life for the cause. Paul doesn't say greet Onesiphorus. Paul says, grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Why would he say that? I think this guy gave his life for the gospel. I think because he aligned with Paul and then aligned with Christ through Paul, that at some point, at some point it ended for him. And we hear nothing else about this guy. He's not the Michael Jordan of Christianity. You may have never heard of him before. But in the last words of Paul, the name Onesiphorus is on his lips. And he cries out to God, grant mercy to this man's house because he was faithful. He was a refreshment to me in a dry and weary land. He wasn't ashamed of my chains, Timothy. From beginning to end, from Ephesus across the ocean now to me in Rome, he searched for me and he found me. Onesiphorus. Timothy, if you need a if you need a real life example, church, if you need a real life example, it's not it's not the Michael Jordan. Okay, how about we just talk about a guy named Onesiphorus? Maybe we can maybe we can measure up there. Timothy, I don't I don't need you to be the best. Let's be faithful. Let's be faithful. Let your heart for the kingdom fuel you for the cause.
Let's pray. Father God, we we thank you for your word. Um, Truly, truly, Father, it, it teaches itself. Thank you that we can we can come to this place and have the freedom to open your word and to to study it together. Would you hide it in our heart? Would you transform us with it? We're not here this morning to talk of conjecture of the best laid plans of mice and men. We're here to we're here to examine the word. We're here to examine the truth. Thank you for leaving us with instructions. Lord, would you uh, would you raise up men and women with giant hearts for your kingdom? You're not asking us to be the best. You want us to be us for you with a great big heart for the kingdom. That's it. You don't need us to be the best. You need us to be us. Where you've put us, in the family you've placed us, in the job you've placed us, in the city you've placed us, in the time, in the generation you've placed us, you need us to be us for you with a giant heart for the kingdom. Lord, this church, this place called Cornerstone, will never be successful if we if we simply dangle the carrot in front of the people and say, go out and, and, and let's, let's build a church to 500. Lord, that's, that's not success. Lord, grant us pure hearts for lost souls. Build it from the inside out. Father, let this church rise up from the inside for the cause of the kingdom that's not just that rabbit we're chasing, but it's, it's from the motive of a pure and giant heart for our king. You are merciful. You are gracious to us. Father, you loved us with a love that we cannot comprehend. And that love, Father, let it fuel us to go into this dark world and rescue those who are perishing. Motivate us, Father. Grow our hearts. If our, if our hearts in the spirit are too small, would you fill them up with your love so that they overflow in our homes, so that they overflow in our, in our neighborhoods, so that they overflow on our baseball teams, so that they overflow in our classrooms, so that those in this world would, would know the love of God through us. You, you need us to be us for you with a giant heart for your kingdom. Use us, Father. Use us. Raise up men and women and children, young and old, among this body, not to be great, not to be famous, not to necessarily be the best, but to be faithful men and women, much like Onesiphorus. Might we be said to be a refreshment to this world? Might we not be ashamed? From beginning to end, Lord, let this church rise to faithfulness from a pure heart. For you are a loving king. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Why don't you stand with us? We're going to sing one more song.
And if you don't know the song, don't worry about it. Ricky knows the song. That's why we put him on the stage. He can sing it for you. Why don't you just listen to the words? Why don't you just stare at the floor? Why don't you just stare out into space and let God speak? Don't waste your hour here. I've said this Sunday in and Sunday out. If we just come here to be entertained or just to hang out or just to punch the clock of our Christianity or just to see some friends, etc., then truly, folks, we've wasted our hour. We're here to be changed by the presence of the Spirit. We're here to be changed by His Word. Ask Him, God, I don't want to leave here the same. That's all I know is I'm, is I'm committed to not leave here the same as I was. Father, move me along. Grow my heart in this way. Maybe you just have to say, God, I'm just listening. Maybe he needs to confront you on sin that's getting in the way of letting your heart expand. Maybe there's something where he says, you've got to come back here first. You've got to come back here first. But don't worry. <laughs> He's a loving God. Forgiveness has already been provided by Christ. If you don't know Christ, if he is not the king of your world, if your heart is not fully committed to him, whether it's big for his kingdom or not, if it's not his, it needs to be his. The Bible says that there's this, there's this gap between you and your creator. It's created by our sinfulness. It says that, that man on his own cannot climb out of the pit he is in. Sin has plunged us to the depths that we can never return from on our own. Our only hope is that God reached down into the pit and pull us out. And he's done just that through the person of Jesus Christ. He came to where we couldn't go. He lived the life we could not live. He paid the price that we don't want to pay. And he hands it back to us and says, here you go. And his hand is out in love. He says, come home, come home. If you've not gone home, if he's not given you a new heart, then don't worry about this business of letting him grow your heart for the kingdom. Just, just come home to your father. He's provided a way for all of us who have gone astray, who have gone on our own path. He's provided a way back. He's taken care of all the debts the bill has been paid. The Spirit's telling you to turn around and come home. Today's the day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be right up here. You just come up. I want you to sit right next to me. And we can talk about coming home. Church, we're going to sing. Let the church rise. I'm not asking for great things. I'm not asking for great things for you. We are asking for great things for the King. I think he deserves it. Amen. If he is who he says he is, if he's done what we say he's done, then he deserves. He deserves our whole life. Let him speak to you. Let's sing.